Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union with two locations in Mankato since 1934. It pays to bank where your part owner member NCUA more at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org. Joining me now, special guest is Sam Ziegler. Sam Ziegler is the head of Green Seam, the director. Good morning, Sam. Good morning, Karen. Glad to be here. Yeah, you know, it's it's a busy time for you because as I understand, the Green Seam is hosting its 38th annual Rural Forum tonight. And that event held from 4.30 until 8.30 at the Mayo Clinic Health System Event Center, basically Civic Center downtown Mankato. And the topic of this year's event is weathering the extremes from farm to main street. And so that's why I thought it'd be a great opportunity to chat with you a little bit about this. Why don't we tell people what green seam is first for people are saying, what are they talking about? Green seam? Are you sewing things that are green? Sure. No, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, we do have that event coming up tonight and we'll dive into that. But green seam, um, it's an organization um, that was built just a number of years ago, just a few years ago, focused on the economic vitality of southern Minnesota um, and our region here, which is prominently the, the, the largest industry sector is agriculture. And it it uh, goes from, you know, you think of a farmer when you think of ag, but it also goes down Main Street and it goes through the professional services. It goes through manufacturing of what are people working on every day? What are Minnesota Federal Valley Credit Union working on? They have ag as clients, right? right. And so that's, that's, we were focused on that. And what we are really is an industry cluster. If you look across the U.S., a lot of people often know Wall Street's an industry cluster or they right. think of Silicon Valley, right? Well, we already have this industry cluster here. It's just never been named or coined or really brought together. And so we put together a name of Green Seam to represent um, this rich uh, valley of the Minnesota River Valley here that has this intense food production all the way through this total supply chain, not limited or starting or stopping with production. So how broad of an area do you cover? You mentioned the, the Minnesota Valley, and of course I think of the seam as the river maybe going through the area. Yeah, it, it's, um, so it was built kind of by business, so we don't have like a hard stop of oh. this is the highway or this is the county border, but you can kind of think of it as this um, southern Minnesota and morphing into the northern tier of Iowa. So it's the rural area that's kind of in between all the major major metro zones when you think of the twin cities or des moines and it's kind of this this hub in this region which again the river valley does you know only place in the u.s the river goes north and south is right here in mankato right? right so that's the minnesota river valley well you yourself are a farmer we chatted a little bit so you are very deep in the ag not only with the as a director of green scene but tell us a little bit about your background because you're a, a local person sure yeah i i grew up just 15 miles south of mankato here um in the good thunder mapleton or buford as buford? some people know yep. um and uh we have corn soybeans um we have uh, pigs as well and we raise some pheasants for some habitat restoration okay. and uh and it fits well into this. Uh, I'll mention as I started doing a, a bunch of cover crop this year as well. So oh, nice! I'm I love to talk. We've been talking cover crop on this show because it really relates to uh, creating a better environment, water yeah. quality, and stuff too. So yeah, that, so so cover crop is, is is relatively new to me, but I've been working on testing for a few years. But I kind of jumped into mm -hmm. it this last year. But before we jump on, also Green Seam was helped started by MSU. 
Okay. Um, so they have been on our board since inception because any industry cluster, a strength and core of it is the educational and research partnership and institute. And so all the, the ag stuff that's been happening on campus with an ag engineering degree, an ag business degree, going through soils, the new uh, earth lab that just opened here a week and a half ago, those all uh, Green Seam has been involved in um, to help launch and morph that. So, so we thank did, MSU. Yeah, how did that form? Tell me what, what started the whole, I guess, the, the, the impetus for getting it going. Um, the whole impetus was, was we have this strength in this region that's food and ag. That is our rich history. You know, the silos downtown still operating with a beautiful art on them today. The right. only reason they're there is because at one time we grew wheat, you know, right. which we don't grow wheat now, but it's still operating. But the whole idea was why are we trying to be something else? Why are we trying to be a major metro or a major tech hub or a major whatever when we have a core here? Let's be proud of what we got and let's build upon our successes. And so that group of individuals from our higher ed through businesses got together and said, well, what's not being done? And this gap of focusing economic development and industry cluster hadn't been done. And so that's where it morphed from. So who from MSU then? What what group did kind of got this going? Do you remember? You, you know, so so the, the first, um, I don't know if you call it a focus group or a, a, a a conference kind of got together was on campus. So I think there was about 100 business individuals and it was held on campus at MSU. And then from there it morphed to saying, okay, we need a steering committee. Um, and so the first person from uh, MSU on that steering committee was uh, Dr. Brian Martinson. Oh, right. Which yeah. which was the dean of the uh, CSET um, and is now in the, the, the cabinet. Provost. Right, mm -hmm. now the provost now. Um, and so... When he changed some some jobs um, and there was some shift there, um, now we have Brenda Flannery, Dr. Brenda Flannery with the College of Business. Business. Mm -hmm. Yep, and so she's representing MSU and our board and proud of it. And you have been, are you the first director of Green Seam? Yep, then? yep. So you so are the founding, I guess, director, so to yeah, speak. Yeah, it was an idea and there was about four things on a, you know, some documents that said we need to focus on. One of them was talent and education and partnership in that regards. Um, and so it was take those ideas and, and run with it. And so um, we officially launched Green Seam Brand in 2016. So we're not that old. All right. So I'm a little confused then because the news release from Green Seam says you are hosting its 38th Rural Forum. Yeah. But you've only been here since 2016. I so Explain that. Yeah, so the Rural <laughs> I'm Forum. I'm doing the math and it doesn't quite come The Rural Forum really started with um, the Minnesota Agri-Women's and the University oh. of Minnesota to have a conversation about uh, policy and on topics of interest to our rural communities. And then over the years, just people changed jobs and just, you know, things morphed. And um, what has it been now, four years ago, um, we were asked to say, hey, you know what, this is this would be something that I think would fit Green Seam. Would you like to take it on? And uh, we said, absolutely, we'd love to, to take it on and have this high-level conversation um, as it. And so it, the brand is Rural Forum. It's hosted and organized by Green Seam. Uh, gotcha. Okay, yeah. that, that makes more sense. I was confused for a little bit. They're saying 38th Rural Forum, and I said, well, they've only been here since 2016. So, right. yeah, that makes it. And this year, the focus is weathering the extremes from farm to, to Main Street. And I know this year, as a gardener, uh, the drought affected me a lot, and I know that farmers are having some pretty good results in terms of their their harvest so uh, it didn't affect them as bad as it could i suppose but we have been seeing more of these weather extremes so why this topic so this topic gets brought up 
in a in a farmer's life it's that's that's their main topic right weather it, yeah you the talk weather about, yeah changes and decides if you're going to get a good crop or not no matter how nice of equipment you have or how good of a job you plant the doesn't seed, matter yeah if mother weather. nature doesn't want to work with you it, it doesn't now there's some things we can do to mitigate those challenges you know for example this last year we had less rain than we did in the dust bowl right. which we didn't have a dust bowl it's a different cropping system today than what we had during the dust bowl even though it might be the same crop of corn um, but it's a whole different system. So, sure. But the whole reason of the topic was from carbon credits, they're being discussed of how farmers can make a, a change or an impact in, in absorbing carbon and storage, all the way through the standpoint of solar panels and local Main Street. What's, what's their impact? But take it a, a step further, it's, there is no one single solution to the challenges we have. And there's no one single side of the aisle or fence or whatever you want to call that's on there. We're all in this together. And so we're not hesitant to take on a challenging topic that has many different views and sit down around a table over some food, listen to some experts about it, have a conversation. I don't expect that we're going to solve the issue today, but hopefully everybody walks out of there with just a little bit more depth of knowledge on certain components of what the speakers are going to talk about. And one of your keynote speakers is Heidi Roop, who is an assistant professor, extension specialist with the University of Minnesota Department of Soil, Water, and Climate. And she's specifically talking about uh, climate change, how the climate science has affected, I guess, everything pretty much, but agriculture especially. So what are you hoping that that message is going to, I guess, help people understand more? Yeah, and um, Heidi is is new to Minnesota, um, and so she spent a a lot of years researching um, in actually every continent she's been on um, and uh, spent a fair amount of time in Antarctica even. And so to hear from her perspective of what she sees, what she understands, um, her knowledge of the research would be really curious to know. But it's also, we always hear, well, I just heard here a couple of weeks or a month ago, right? There's this big climate thing that happened in a global, you know, marketplace, right? And global leaders talking about, what does it really mean to you and I? It's we a can big guess, topic, yeah. You know, we can guess or we can read different news articles and it'll tell you different things of what people picked up, but I don't really know. So I'm hoping she'll explain that a little bit. Um, and we always talk about, you know, rising oceans, rising, well, rising ocean, how does that affect us here? Um, but it, and that's where it gets to, it's not necessarily um, the global warming or global cooling or whatever, you know, word of the day is, but there is higher extremes. And this last year we had extreme drought. If you go back a couple of years, we had extreme floods, right? And so how do we manage those um, from a standpoint? Um, and so uh, really looking forward to hear her just share her story on that. And part of her um, messages, too, is climate communications. Um, and so how, how do we process that? Well, you know, I think my my dad was a farmer. He's no longer with us. But back in the day, he was one of the early adopters of conservation tillage, no-till sort of thing, way back in the 70s. And I remember having a congressman from Wisconsin come out and look at that as it was such a a new thing that had never been done. And and he had a lot of naysayers saying, well, you're not going to get the yield and all this sort of thing. But I think we've come such a long way from there where some of these things have been adopted. And I, I think there's even more things being discovered that can help with conservation in right. so many ways. 
Yeah, there there are. I mean, all the way from that example is a prime example, all the way to uh, Revel Greens out of Medford. If you haven't seen their lettuce, it's revolutionary. It's Revel Greens. It's I don't all know what greenhouse. That is. It's leafy greens. You can buy them at Cub Foods or or Hy-Vee or wherever, and they're produced right over by uh, Cabela's in, in Medford, all inside. They take all the water that comes down from the rain. They is don't, it hydroponic? It is a, it's a hydro greenhouse. Okay. Um, and so there's floating beds of, of leafy greens with very little soil um, that are able to give the nutrients that way and grow with 365 days a year. And now we don't have trucking from California, California Arizona, you know, uh, Mexico, wherever it is, to provide those, and they're actually fresher because you don't have days of transportation. But that's the other side of like agriculture changing. Right? Who would have thought in a cold climate you'd be growing greens 365 days a year, and it made sense, and it it's working. Well, I look back. My my parents were in farmers in dairy farmers in Wisconsin, and so many. I mean, most of them have gone out of business now, and that sort of thing. But a lot of people are adopt, adopting to new. Crops, like you mentioned, the the um, lettuces and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Is that a big piece of what Green Seam is doing? Is kind of helping with that transformation of what we have to look to to be viable in y- agriculture. We we see as Green Seam that we need all types of ag because everybody has a different t- taste preference or they have a mm-hmm. different budget um, that they can invest or you know spend on their food. And so we need all those things. If somebody believes um, in one type of production or other, that that option's on the table. Mm. And and so and we also you know for example for the Revel Greens example, we can't grow lettuce outside in our soil. No, in the and, winter. <laughs> you know, and so to have those businesses here yeah. is a huge um, uh, option for people to get locally grown products in their grocery store every day of the year. Do we have that here now, Rebel Greens? So if yeah. I went to the store, I could find them. Absolutely, I didn't know that. They're nice uh, uh, red and green colored package with a film on the top anyway there's i'm going to look for that now because it's great to know that locally grown and or even in the state supporting the state economy in the same uh, town Oatana, they have bushel boy as well and so bushel boy tomatoes are growing in Oatana, and so is leafy greens two different companies you got revel greens and bushel boy but so you can choose if you want Tomatoes, 365 days a year, growing locally. They grow those too in yeah. inside. Yeah, right oh. uh, behind Fleet Farm, kind of in in Owatonna. I, that sounds like a great place to tour sometime. I didn't know that. Really, I'm learning new things. That's awesome. <laughs> the other speaker you have is Bruce Ratstetter, who is the founder and CEO of Summit Agriculture Group, a a leading agribusiness and renewable energy. F- firm with operations in North and South America. So what sort of things are you hoping he's going to bring to the table? I assume some with the talk of renewable energy. So you would think that. Yeah, and it is true. That makes that's sense. definitely a part of it. Um, but th- they have started a company up called um, uh, Summit uh, Summit Carbon Solutions. Okay. Summit Carbon Solutions. Okay. Summit Carbon Solutions is looking to take and connect our renewable fuel fuel facilities along with food companies and others along the way and capture their carbon, their CO2, and then transport that through a pipeline back to the oil wells where it'll be stored in the in the, in the, the shale, in the rock formations, you know, for a long time, putting ethanol or our food companies at a lower carbon output, potentially even the renewable fuel facilities could even be a zero so how, did, how does that work? I, I'm trying to picture it in my mind how you're capturing, because I picture carbon dioxide yep. as a gas, right? So, yep. uh, you know, and I've got some in my little can of pop I got here, the bubbles and stuff, and they disappear. So how do you 
capture that? And how do you try? If you can explain it to help me understand, I'd appreciate that. Sure. You know, I I won't be able to explain exactly 100% how their equipment works to capture it. But for right now, if you even take... um, our ethanol plants existing. Some of our ethanol plants existing in Minnesota already capture the CO2. Okay. They bottle it and and then contain it, and then they ship it and sell it to our dry ice companies, or they sell it to our you know pop companies, whatever that oh. needs carbon. Like because dry ice is basically CO2. Sure. Um, and so then those would be used in medical and cold storage you know needs, right? So they're already doing it, but not all of them are doing it because oh. there there's not that strong of demand. F- for that cost of infrastructure to capture all that. But in this scenario, the companies that are partnering with um, the group then would be connected to the pipeline. um, And then there would be credits that would be paid, right? People are paying for carbon credits today. So you can go fly somewhere and you know, and feel good if you donate to carbon credits. Yeah, what does that mean exactly, too? That confuses it, me a little. So carbon carbon trading, water quality trading, it's trading, um, you know, so Amazon saying they're going to get to zero carbon emissions. Right. Well, the only way they're going to do it by delivering lots of cardboard boxes to everybody's doorstep is they're going to have to pay somebody else to do a better job of the environment. Okay, so to, more. To pay for, yeah, that way. So, like, this goes back to the cover crops. that Just before air, you know, we talked about cover crops. We're going to do cover crops on my farm. Mm-hmm. And there are some folks out there willing to pay me so many dollars per acre of a cover crop, which it's the roots are forming and the roots are storing carbon in the soil. And putting nitrogen back in for... And yeah. yeah, not letting nitrogen leach and all that stuff. So so somebody would pay me for that. Well, then somebody at the end needs to pay for that to offset their usage. Okay. So in this scenario, you would have... Um, this pipeline capturing all the CO2 that be measured from every individual facility and then going into the ground and completely storing it for basically ever, right? Um, and then that would put ethanol as the top fuel choice in the world or biodiesel that those plants that are connected to it because they would be zero carbon emitters. It's it's, it's just fascinating. So, so there, is this... I guess scalable to to do something like that. I mean, how realistic is it to? I know he's going to talk on that today, Bruce Ratstead, or you're you're one of your keynote speakers. So, I mean, is it scalable to make it, a difference, really? Yeah, it is. That um, I think um, on his website, if you look it up, I think it's around two million cars would be taken off the road equivalent. Oh, okay. So, if taking that carbon that two million cars emit um, is something that we can picture, um, is is the number. So it is scalable, and this will be the largest um, sort of this carbon capture on the globe today. Really? Wow. So it would be connecting across um, across Iowa and across southern Minnesota, capturing those plants that would be in line, and it would be just the opposite of what today we think of is a pipeline. Well, the pipeline would be taking carbon and putting it back versus extraction. And so where is this in the process? Is it just an idea up there, a bubble above somebody's head, or is it actually in process? They're in the process now of working on permitting. Oh. So it's uh, it's it's not, they haven't dug and haven't laid the pipe yet. And so that's why it's kind of fun to have him up here, hear about and talk about this of, of we have these challenges, right? But we often hear about the challenges of, of climate change, but it's often like, well, I can't do anything about it or... Mm-hmm. No, that's too expensive or that. This is super expensive, but there's agriculture coming together saying, I think together we can we can solve this. And it's not one one individual 
ethanol plant or food plant or manufacturing plant. It's a bunch of them all coming to the table saying, you know, if we all connect to this thing and we all do our part, we can make a difference. Now, you mentioned this is Midwest, right? So we're talking here in southern Minnesota, northern Iowa area. Yeah, that, that is, is exactly where the, the pipeline is being promoted is uh, across southern northern Iowa into southern Minnesota. Okay, anybody hears pipeline, they're going to think of the pipeline and, and think, oh my gosh, you're, we are going to put a pipeline in and, and pollute and all those sorts of things. So how do you explain that then? You know, that I, I don't know yet. We've never had this scenario, oh, okay. right? <laughs> and. And so it's a challenge to say how do we communicate because as soon as a, as soon as somebody hears pipeline well, they think oh no right oil and or something so we have to we have to really stop and think and saying this is a carbon pipeline to store a gas that is causing our issues or mm-hmm. part of our issues right and so it's going to be an interesting dialogue and conversation as this project continues to move forward because the yeah. first knee-jerk reaction is going to be, whoa, wait, wait a second, I don't need And yeah. then you're like, oh, wait a second. This is actually what we're asking for. We're does asking it, for solutions. Does the carbon stay in there forever, or how does that, how is it, I guess, get sequestered is, I guess, the word they use. Oh, boy. You know, that's... Is that beyond your... That's <laughs> beyond me, really. Okay. I know that they talk about how the rock, uh, the rock formations are porous and different okay. things. That it's able to lock in there, Absorb but I, somehow or but I don't understand. It's that. beyond our scientific go uh, today. I bet there's a professor that's <laughs> listening right now that says I understand geological <laughs> formations and I need to be on the show. We'll have to bring that person in sometime. I think that would be really good. So it sounds like a really interesting forum then. So weathering the extremes from farm to Main Street, and it's tonight starting from four to eight thirty at the downtown Civic Center here in Mankato. Is it already booked? I mean, can people come still if they want, or what's the status of that? There's a few seats open yet for on-site registration, um, but pretty much we're we're booked. We have over 270 people already registered, um, of which we've partnered with with the college or the university here, and we have 45 students coming from this campus um, from a number of classes Mm -hmm. um, uh, that are teaching some sort of ag or climate or whatever, and um, um, and so, yeah, we have pretty much a booked house. But who, who else? Who is interested in this topic? I mean, you mentioned agriculture, obviously, and, yeah. and students. Who are the other people that are wanting to know more about this? You know, we have. I know we have guests from the the Canadian consulate coming. Hmm. We have guests from the Department of Ag coming. We have. Um, just individuals that I don't know who they are yet, Karen. You know, they signed <laughs> up, and I don't recognize their name. Okay. And so I don't know what their interest is, but we also have uh, some county commissioners attending and things like that because the topic is is relevant for what they go for. But, it, you know, the excitement this year is we – so we provide scholarships so the students don't have to pay. Which is wonderful, yeah. And um, and so seeing that we have that many students that are, are signed up is a combination of, yeah, they should come because they're part of a class maybe, but there's a number of students that are they're like, this topic is really near and dear to us, and how we can make an impact as the future leaders in our country. Um, that really gets me excited. So uh, we talked about renewable energy. Are there other topics of renewable energy that Green Seam is dealing with, not necessarily with this forum per se, just that, but uh, uh, other areas? You know, um, when you look at the economic vitality of our region, we have, in the Green Seam, we have 17 ethanol plants. Okay. And when you look at where they're spaced out and how the dollars turn over in a community, if you look at the ripple effect, they're a huge contributor to um, long-term vitality. Um 
we have we have you know electric cars and things coming but right now the cleanest fuel that the average citizen can buy or most likely is buying mm -hmm. is ethanol or if you have a diesel vehicle it's biodiesel and it's being produced right here um, we have some of the most efficient ethanol plants in the globe right here. In fact, there's a couple of them that are sending almost all their ethanol to California because they're willing to pay for the lowest um, or most efficient fuel because of their standards that they want to get to. Sure. Um, and they pay for that at a cost because transportation is not free. Um, and so that's, that's a big success that we have here. And in fact, if you go to the pump right now, the cheapest fuel at the pump for your average person driving a car is E15. That's 15% ethanol, 85% petroleum. And that's reducing people's cost of the pump. And that fuel is being produced Which here. Which now, of course, everybody's concerned about the prices. So, yeah. Right. So, who can use this? So, because I've, I've got a, a Honda CRV and I use regular because I don't know if I can use the E15 and I'm afraid to do it because I think, well, I don't know about this. So, I, I don't and I should. And so, I feel kind of silly asking it, I guess, but I'm, I'm going to ask you that. Who, who can use it? It's no, that's a, it's not a dumb question either because that's a very confusing thing on what vehicle manufacturers say, do, and what's out there for choices. You have, you know, your E10, mm -hmm. um, which is 10%. You have E15, and then you have E85. Right. That's what you normally would see at a pump. Um, E85, you need to usually have a yellow gas cap that oh, says okay. that you can use flex fuel, which means 85% ethanol, 15% petroleum. Oh. Okay. That usually it's a yellow gas cap, or it says right on your inside your fuel door of, of flex fuel. The E15, any vehicle can use E15. Really? And what that's are, why what are it's the so advantages common. or disadvantages of why I would do that? So E15 has some properties to it that increases the octane. Um, and actually ethanol replaced some bad stuff that was on the market uh, back in the 90s that did some major pollution of trying to get octane up, which helps with uh, the fuel economy. So actually you should get a better fuel economy with, with an E80, E88, which is... 15, also known as E15, okay. um, because ethanol has some very good properties to it. And so it doesn't matter what vehicle you have as long as it's a gasoline vehicle, right? Because really? we're talking gasoline, right. not right. Uh, diesel. Um, so yeah, E15, and uh, it can be used. And Minnesota leads the country in, in use of E15. So. So what's the 10 then? You mentioned a 10. Um, the E10, is it's, it's been standard since, oh boy, back in the 2000s that it's been a, a standard in the fuel in Minnesota. It was a, a call that our legislators made that says, you know what, we want to lead the country in, in uh, fuel that is going to be less pollution, and we're also going to be producing here and not importing. So um, 10 and, and 15 are just the degree of... Uh, percentage. Percentage. And so is one better than another? Does it matter? It, 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 uh, it, there's, everything is going to have 10% in it. So that's kind of, even if you don't see a sticker that says E10, oh. it's going to have 10% in it. Didn't know that. Um, E15, it's going to be a little bit cheaper for you to buy because okay. it reduces the cost, but it's also going to be 5% more renewable, cleaner fuel than the petroleum blend. So if you care about the environment, if you care about those things, we're producing here, it is higher um, in, in the health properties. And so like even the American Lung Association supports ethanol. Hmm. Because it's less tailpipe emissions. I learned something new. Yeah. I, I'm glad I asked. So, right. And I know you've got to get back because I think you have uh, issues, uh, things to, to deal with with your forum coming up tonight. So, again, that's tonight from 4 until 8.30 at the Downtown Event Center, Mankato Civic Center. Uh, people can find out more online? Yep. They can find out more by going to greenseam.org. 
um, and then look at events or greenseam.org backslash rural or 21 rural forum. And can they still sign up? You mentioned, can they come to the door? They can come to the door okay. um, and, and sign up at $65 at the door. Okay. Um, you get full meal, it's the food whole works, okay. yep, gotcha. all that stuff. And, and then we end at the end of the night with a panel of legislators, state legislators. Okay. And so that part of it is, is hey, if we want to make a difference, let's ask them the questions. Let's have that dialogue. Let's sit down. Talk have policy and that kind of thing. Yeah. So policy is the, the last uh, conversation of, of the evening. Wonderful. Well, I want to thank you. We've been talking with Sam Ziggo, the director of the Green Seam here in Mankato in the, the southern Minnesota area, talking about the forum and also just about what Green Seam is all about and how it impacts our region. Thank you so much for your time, Sam. I appreciate it. I'm honored to be on here, so yeah. thank you. Great. Well, you uh, have a good rest of your day and, and uh, good luck on the forum tonight. Sounds good. All thank right, you. Take care. Bye-bye. Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union with two locations in Mankato since 1934. It pays to bank where you are part owner, member NCUA, more at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by Lee Pomeroy and by The Blue Boat. Located at 12 Civic Center Plaza in downtown Mankato, The Blue Boat offers eco-retail, an art gallery, and a cafe that features a rotating menu of cuisine from Costa Rica, Italy, Greece, Japan, and California. More info at blueboat.earth. It is 1046 and you are listening to A Minnesota Morning on the Maverick. My name is Karen Wright. Thanks for joining me. If you uh, missed any of our discussion on talking about agriculture, green seam, etc., you can find it on our SoundCloud, the KMSU SoundCloud, under Every Day is Earth Day. Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union with two locations in Mankato since 1934. It pays to bank where your part owner member NCUA, more at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org.